Hey, welcome back to Not Quite Compassion Podcast. Uh, this is episode number six, entitled Villain. And uh, it's I see it as a continuation from last week, episode five, Hero. So if you haven't listened to that, go back because I'll connect the dots a bit. And then next week, I'll, uh, I'll finish up kind of a three-part thing and I'll talk about advocacy. Uh, but today I want to focus in on the nature of villains um, for obvious reasons because heroes need a villain. Uh, a villain is someone or someone we vilify is someone that we is the inability to do good, right? We define them by what they lack. Um, we've categorized them, we've labeled them, we've defined them, and then ultimately we dismiss them. But heroes need villains. If you remember back uh, last week, uh, Jerry, who uh, took a nice uh, selfie of him in Kenya and entitled that he was in the slums. Jerry needs the slums in order to be viewed as a hero. And that's the problem with this whole thing is we, we need villains. Uh, and you don't have to look very far in church history in America to, to see uh, that we continually needed villains, you know, whether it's uh, fighting against women's rights or gay rights or you take it back further, you know, it's, um, it's against science in general or evolution. Or it's about fighting to keep prayer in school. Or the latest iteration of Take Back America. Which is always hilarious because, like, take it back to when? Like, when we had separate water fountains? Like, who are we taking America back to? Um, which is a whole nother. Anywho, it's a false nostalgia. And you could even argue, like, any kind of scientific revolution the church fought against all the way back to Copernicus. But ultimately, the problem there is, is um, the church defined God. God only mattered because they needed him to fight some war. So as long as the war was going on, God mattered in people's lives. But whether when the war ended, whether the Christian church won or lost, it actually doesn't matter. Um, they could win the wars and still at the end of it, after the war is over, God ceases to matter as much because that's God's a stopgap. So then the church has to create a new villain, a new war, a new outrage. And um, and you don't have to look very far in our current political state to see that like you can create a really big following very quickly by creating a villain. Like you just you you focus in on fighting against something and you can create a following rather quickly. But the problem with it is 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 we're all feeling a bit of this outrage fatigue, right? Because of all these villains. And all these things that we're mad about. I mean, you know, the, the, the media cycle right now is like every week to like every day, there's something new that has offended us and, um, and is an outrage. And some of them legitimately are. I'm not like, see, our, our climate in America is crazy right now. I'm just, I'm, I am urging us to take maybe a broader view of things and not get lost in what happens to our souls when we incessantly need a villain. Because if we're not careful, we can go from needing a villain to even creating villains in order to rationalize ourselves as a hero. I've heard it said that those we idolize, we will often vilify. And if we can't create an enemy, we can, uh, or we if we can't, we don't have an enemy to fight. We will create one to fight it. If that's what we've created our lives around. Uh, like we've seen this even in um, 
you know, leaders that have hurt us, you know, that we once idolized a particular person because we thought, oh man, they're doing it right. And they're, they're living their life and we really admire them and respect them. And then something goes wrong and they get knocked off that pedestal that we put them on. And isn't it crazy how we can go from idolizing someone to vilifying them like in a heartbeat? Like that's crazy how quickly that can occur. And you see that in people's stories of being hurt by the church all the time. That's usually at the center of it is they, they loved it so much and had it placed on the pedestal to some such a degree that when um, reality struck, um, it went from idolizing to vilifying. Uh, you can even do that in other nonprofit organizations as well. People do this with the Bible. I've seen this over and over again, where um, they think of the Bible as, as perfect and um, dropped from heaven. That's <laughs> just in English, of course, <laughs> and, and just dropped into their lap and every word of it is perfect and um, and <laughs> and then they start looking into it a little bit further, and they see some of the things in the Bible that aren't so perfect, like bashing babies' heads on rocks, for instance, or genocide, or <laughs> or um, the um, in the New Testament how it, it it's it's uh, complicit with slavery. Uh, I you know there's some imperfect things in the Bible, and I've seen people when that happens because they've idolized it they switch on a dime and they vilify it and they throw the whole book, the whole library of books out and want nothing to do with it because it's full of errors and hypocrisy. And it's because they idolized it. They didn't allow it to be human because it is, it was written by humans. And if we're not careful, um, those we idolize, uh, we can vilify when it comes to, um, to God. And this is exactly what happened with Judas uh, in the story in the Bible, I mean, he was one of the disciples of Jesus, and but he had idolized him. He had placed him up on this pedestal to be something that Jesus never intended to be, this like huge ruler. And and then what happened? Judas vilifies him. He betrays him. Um, that we can take God and we can categorize him, we can label him, define him, and then even potentially dismiss him. Uh, this has been the struggle of my life lately. I mean, if you followed Jesus for some time, you probably remember a time like back in the good old days, again, that false nostalgia that we create, but back in the good old days when you would like pray and then like God would answer it like a minute later, <laughs> you know? you're like, whoa, look at that. And it was just like, it was just like miracles were happening all around you. And this God was so clear and obvious and alive and active and it was just awesome and the world was full of like god sightings and god happenings and god stuff and and then uh, maybe potentially like me um you started to mature in your faith and god stopped giving you everything you wanted because babies don't mature that way people don't grow up by getting everything they want and uh, that's been my realization lately. Uh, and it's either that, either I adjust my expectations of who God actually is and allow him to grow and mature me, or I, I'm telling you, I will vilify him. I will cast him aside. I will dismiss him. Or I can allow him to mature me. Um, this scapegoating occurs 
sometimes in our lives as well too in the in the notion of creating villains that we can um it keeps us from facing our own darkness uh, i'll give you a, a real example that i struggle with myself too is um is uh the president which i i can't even stand to calling him that but trump i mean let's just be honest he's a fucking racist like there's just so much evidence for it right and that's an outrage in mine like that's frustrating but but hear me on this one I also have to notice what happens inside of me when I call him that. It gets me off the hook, potentially. And it keeps me, I scapegoat him, and it keeps me from facing my own inner darkness, my own prejudice, my own hidden racism. You know, the the things that my own privilege as a white male, straight white male living in America and, and when we scapegoat others, when we create villains, it actually um, kills our own ability to mature and to grow. A fun example of this, because we got to turn time a little bit, it's getting a little dark, huh? Is uh, <laughs> the story of Batman, the trilogy, you know, like really, not, not before freaking Ben Affleck got a hold of it and just took a big, big terrible dump on the whole thing i'm talking about the good old days <laughs> that's gonna be a reoccurring theme here all right so um the batman trilogy right you got um bruce wayne and um and you have in the uh he becomes batman and then you have um joker he fights right the villain hero versus villain but then you start to notice though too that um more and more villains spring up because well, one, they, one, they got to make another movie, but that's also the story of Batman. And then you'll notice that in the third movie that he he goes away for a little bit, right? And then he comes back, and when he comes back, he realizes that actually creates Bane and all these other villains. And um, and I think the story is told masterfully. Um, but you have batman fighting on these villains and then you you eventually gets the bomb remember and he, he has to fly the bomb out of gotham in order to save everyone and he fakes his own death as he's um flying the um the the bomb out of gotham city and explodes and everyone thinks he's dead and then the last scene you see is um is uh his his butler alfred sitting in a little cafe somewhere in another country and there's um, Batman, but it's not Batman anymore. It's just Bruce Wayne, just plain old Bruce Wayne sitting in a coffee shop with a friend. And uh, there's like peace has been restored because there's no more heroes. And there's peace because therefore there's been the creation of no more villains. Uh, this is talked about by um, Kester Bruin in his book, After Magic, that says this. It goes, it is only in putting into death of the super part of themselves and the embracing of the weak and awkward human part of their psyche that they have always struggled with, that the, the, that the demand will be annulled and peace will come. The truly heroic act is the decision to act within the limited human envelope. What's he saying there is that there's no super soldier serum. There's no Bane or Batman. There's just us, citizens of Gotham, humans, and all of our weakness. When we cease to try to be the hero, we cease to create villains. Because creating villains ultimately keeps us from facing our own inner demons. So I want to give some practicals on how to keep from creating villains, to how to stop vilifying people. 
Because when we stop doing that, then it allows for growth to happen in our own lives, right? Because we're not projecting, we're not scapegoating, we're looking inwardly and allowing God to change us rather than being pissed off that God's not changing someone else, right? So here's some ways that help me to keep from creating villains. Um, The first one is I learned from Brene Brown, um, a very simple phrase, that they're doing the best they can. And, and, um, in one of her books, she talks about this and how difficult that is to believe that. And it is that people are actually doing the best that they can. Like think of some of the people that have hurt you, like really, really hurt you. It's so difficult to say that of them, right? Doing that they did the best that they could. Hell no, they didn't do the best they could. They were a-holes. They like really hurt me, you know, <laughs> like, but, 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 but. Think about what happens in our lives when we're able to say that phrase. I don't know if it's true or not. I actually don't. If people are genuinely doing the best that they can. I don't know. I do know what happens in my soul when I'm able to say that of another. Especially someone that I have a tendency to vilify. That when I believe in my bones that they're doing the best that they can, there's something that is loosened in me. Like there's a freedom Rob Bell talks about how forgiveness is um, freeing a prisoner and then realizing that person was you. And it's true. It really is true. So they are doing the best that they can. Another way that keeps me from creating villains is um, I pray for them. And uh, and I don't just pray like the, <laughs> the jaded, like, um, you know, like... Uh, <laughs> God, I pray that you'd show them the error of their ways. Or like, I don't play that. That like makes me feel more right about myself. No, I pray the, like the harder prayers. Those are easy ones. I'm talking about the like, God, would you help them? Like, would you bless them? Would you give them lots of money? And would you? Um, there is a church I used to work for that is right off the freeway, and uh, and I so I drive by it like a few times every week. And I try to get into a discipline, a habit of praying for that church as I drive by. And I, because they, they hurt me. I mean, and, and it just was not a good experience. But I love what happens in my life when I ask God, like, would you just bless them? Would you like a cause their attendance to grow and for them to do well financially? And would you um, give them inspiration? And would you give them help? Would they get a sense of like this burden's light for them? Man, when I pray like that, it's like, it reminds me, okay, there's a story in Joseph in the Bible when he forgives his friends. If you know the story, just go back and look at it real quick. But like his friends, is, I'm sorry, his friends, his brothers, like throw him in this well and they, he gets sold into slavery. Like it's way more than I've ever experienced, right? But there's this really interesting scene, like right when um, Joseph like gets back like together and he, he gets like God takes care of him and uh, what was meant for evil is turned to good. And um, and so he's actually in a position of power now over his brothers, but his brothers don't know it's him at first. But there's this interesting scene where Joseph has the power to get back at his brothers, but he decides to pray for them and forgive them instead. And the Bible meant, makes this interesting point. It says that like Joseph started crying. And I, for me, like that's so good for me to, to remember because it like it tells me it wasn't some easy like oh I'll just forgive him no big deal <laughs> like no for Joseph it was a really really big deal it was hard it was so hard to not vilify them to let it go to choose blessing over cursing man but there's such a freedom in it but it's not easy at least according to Joseph 
So um, I pray blessing on my enemies, or, or as Jesus says, to love your enemies. Um, and the next one I do is uh, how to keep from creating villains is I, I have decided to no longer make alliances. And this happens, I think, most frequently in workplaces, but it could happen with families as well, too. But you know, like when you're in a meeting at work and there's like, you know, there's eight or nine people around a table and someone says something and then you glance over at someone else listening to that person saying something and they make a little eye conversation with you. And then you have another little eye conversation with someone else about what that person just said. And you're all kind of like making this what? Like a little alliance that together you all think that was a stupid thing that person said. <laughs> or you, all three of you disagree with what that person said and you all rec- recognize through your little eye conversation that you were all on the same page. I just don't do that stuff anymore. I, I, I'm serious. I, I, it's a dead end. I don't like the person it, it, it makes me into. I'm not interested in building alliances. I, I just... Because I'm, I'm tired, I'm I'm tired of repeating the pattern of of having to be a hero and creating villains. I'm just not going to do it. And I've noticed it, it creates a higher sense of loyalty in people around me when they recognize that, like, oh, he doesn't do that like everyone else. Then he would never do it to me either. And I I like the kind of person it makes me. All right, one last way it has, keeps me from creating villains is this, um, you can look it up, Google it, it's uh, Heights Ethics, H-Y-D-T-S, Ethics, or his um, uh, Moral Foundations Theory. And it's, it's I won't get too deep in the weeds, but track me on this. This has been so helpful for me. His um, theory is, is there are um, five universal ethics for every human being on the planet that's made in the image of God. And uh, those, those ethics are um, every person has a sense of care, Fairness, loyalty, authority, and sanctity. Now, here's the trick. Every person's got those ethics, but the order of those ethics differ. And that's where so much of our tension on our our decision to vilify comes from. Like, I'll give you a practical example. Typically, Republicans or the right are going to uphold authority and loyalty, higher up on the chain of their universal ethics and they'll have care usually towards the bottom where liberals or democrats are going to be much their their top one's going to be care and their lowest one's probably going to be um authority right so when you're talking to someone from a with a different order of ethics Oftentimes, the conflict arises because i start to vilify them because i'm talking about how come you don't care about refugees and they do, but they're thinking in terms of like, no, we need to have loyalty to our country and we need to protect America. And we don't quite know what's going on with everyone that comes in these things. They're strangers. And I'm like, well, you should welcome the strangers and blah, 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 right? But what, which is fine to have that conversation. But the problem is, is I can vilify them if I think they don't actually care. If I don't think they have an order to it, they just don't have it on them, their universal ethics at all, right? That's where the vilifying occurs. And secondly, what's helped me with like empathy and 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 uh, understanding and having constructive conversations with people I normally disagree with is instead of coming at the issue with my top ethic, I come at the issue with their top ethic. So I don't come at them at their weakest point. I come at them with their strongest point. So if I'm going to talk about refugees with a Republican, 
I better open up the word of God that they may be value and are very, they believe is authoritative source and they want to be very loyal to it. There you go. See, and I open up scriptures that talk about how the, the, the authority of the Bible and the authority of the God of the universe is saying we need to welcome these people. And let's talk about, let's, let's go at your strongest point, not your weakest point. And it's not like a manipulative thing because we still have a really robust conversation. And oftentimes, 99% of the time, they, we walk away still disagreeing. <laughs> but the conversation is far healthier and far more respectful. And uh, yeah, I've just, I've seen a lot of help with that. Okay. Um, one last thing. <laughs> that was last one. That was not. <laughs> of helping me uh, stop creating villains is uh, I, I, I'm trying to remember that there, uh, there is only one villain. It keeps me from being outrage fatigued. Because I think that's why we move from one outrage to the next, one hero and villain to the next hero and villain, as we lose sight of the larger plot, the greater narrative. Or as Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I'll vilify others if I forget about the actual villain of the story. There is one battle, and there is one hero, there is one villain, and there is one advocate, and there is one cross, and there is one pronouncement. It is finished. And when I vilify people, it only aids to the villain's, capital V, scheme. So, I may not vilify people, but remember the real villain. A battle isn't against flesh and blood. So, one last little thing I want to touch on is um, perhaps for you, like me, it's not today. It's not an issue of creating villains. It's an issue that you've been you've been vilified. What do you do when others have labeled you? And categorized you and defined you and dismissed you. What do you do when you've been vilified? And that's happened to me. Believe me. (laughs) I feel very ostracized from the Christian church right now. Like I've been labeled and categorized a heretic because I think being gay is okay. And um, yeah, I mean, just practically, (laughs) I used to get asked to guest speak at a bunch of different churches. I don't get asked anymore. Like very, very rarely. <laughs> and, uh, and I've been defriended on Facebook a bunch of different times. I have a majority of Christians that just want nothing to do with me. Um, yeah. What do you do when you've been vilified or maybe it's at work, you know, that someone made a rumor about you and people started believing it and that's how you've been labeled, whatever it might be. What do we do? Uh, for what it's worth, what I've learned is I that I cannot become the villain that they need me to be. Because that's my maybe that's the Kent in me. <laughs> I grew up in this like suburb of Seattle that's kind of got this notorious uh, reputation, Kent. <laughs> and uh, maybe the Kent to me is be like, you think that's bad, mother? <laughs> I'll show you offensive. Like, and I'll just, and I used to do that. I try not to do that anymore. Although, man, sometimes, some days I'm telling you, like, cause I'm like the quick wit gets me in trouble. Cause I can just, man, I can fire back. But I, I have found a freedom in not becoming the villain 
that they need me to be and recognizing that they actually need me to be that villain, to validate their uh, behavior to me. Like they got to sleep at night, right? And so be able to rationalize themselves, to be able to go to sleep thinking they're the hero, they have to keep me as the villain. And I've noticed that I take away their power when I refuse to be the villain that they need me to be. That I take on this quiet confidence. I just keep, like for instance, if people need me to be a heretic, um, then I just keep loving Jesus and I keep loving people and allow the fruit of my life, the generosity, the humility, the hospitality, the, um, the grace of my life to be very, very clear to those around me. I keep loving my wife. I keep loving my kids. I keep loving my neighbors. I keep speaking peace and blessing on people. I don't um, respond, react with wrong with another wrong. I don't escalate violence, but I forgive and I ask blessing on people. And I refuse to be the villain that they need me to be. And from that, there's this quiet confidence that comes. This idea that we pray for those who persecute us. I stop the circulation of violence. I really believe that's what Jesus meant when he says, it is finished. Like, just stop repeating this pattern. And just, it has to end somewhere. So if that's you, my encouragement is to just keep working hard at loving people. And I have seen that when I do, the only way to beat a critic is just to outlive them. Like you just keep taking away their power until they have nothing else what to say. They get exhausted. They're, they get their own outrage fatigue. And you just outlive them with following Jesus and loving people. It's the best remedy. It's so much better than um, continuing the circulation of violence. That's episode number six, Villains. Uh, we've talked about heroes. And next week, I, I'm really pumped about getting into and the nature of advocacy, which I think is the, oh man, it's a good third way. Um, So hang with us and uh, may you experience the grace of Jesus this week. The podcast you just heard was published with Anchor. Got something you want to say to the creator of this show? Send them a voice message using the Anchor app, free for iOS and Android.